Welcome to another edition of Unplugged. It's been a pretty strong season overall, but it does feel like we've ridden the wave of emotions a little bit from the round one Collingwood game to the winning streak to the frustrations of Port Adelaide to the reality of Melbourne and then another high in the win over Geelong, probably our best win of the season that the Giants game was one that we probably had in that in that realm. Retrospectively, Fremantle in Perth is a, is a pretty good win, but the Geelong win, given our history with them and given our lack of success against them, was one that felt good, particularly the way in which it happened. We were down and out at halftime. Uh, we'd lost one of our strike weapons in Jack Higgins for the game. Our captain was clearly injured. Uh, the opposition had all of the confidence and all of the swagger, and we really did dominate from that point on and were probably... Uh, the 10-point margin flattered Geelong a little bit. We could have won the game by four or five goals in the end. Such was the control we had. It was a, a very good win, the type of win that very good sides produce. And you've then got to consolidate that uh, in matches like the next couple against Adelaide and North Melbourne. But a, a very, very satisfying afternoon. Uh, our best quarter of football for the season in that third-term blitz. Uh, particularly the spread of goal kickers and the spread of contributions from a, a number of players. But yeah, that one goes to the other uh, top of the 2022 tree for me. And, and certainly one of my favorite home and away wins in a little while, Nick and uh, to beat Geelong is always a, a satisfying thing given our, um, our not so pleasant history with them. Yeah. Spot on. I mean, Geelong are just one of those, one of those teams that we never seem to beat. And, and so to get one, to get one back, uh, we owe them a few, but to get one back finally after after a couple of years was satisfying. But you're right, you, you touched on it before. Uh, the manner in which it, it happened and, and the way that the tide turned. I was sitting with uh, one of the guests on, on this show a, a month or two back, Phil Daladakis, and, and midway through the second quarter, it looked like we were cooked. And, and we just kept talking about how it looked so easy for Geelong to move the ball. Their transition from defense to forward was really easy. The way that they were winning clearances and, and dominating stoppage. And they always had a guy ready out the back, whether it was Duncan or Smith or whoever it was. Um, they just trusted their in and under guys, Selwood and, and whatever, to, to win the stoppage and then get the handball out forward, sideways, backwards. They always knew where each other was at, at every point. And the way that they moved the ball around the ground uh, in transition looked looked so far and, and above what we were capable of at that time anyway. And, and we just didn't seem to be able to get a, a grip on them defensively, um, which is funny because our, our back six was actually, you know, not surprisingly, but but actually really good as they have been for a while. They're, they're a really solid back six, but it just felt like across the, the, the middle of the ground that they just had the ascendancy and, and then for us to come come out in, in the third quarter, having lost Jack Higgins, having lost essentially Jack Steele out of the middle of the middle of the ground, he was playing as kind of that decoy you know, out of the goal square uh, for most of that second half, and to, to win back that uh, the the pressure ball, to win back the contest, and then be able to to move it uh, with a lot more efficiency, with a lot more effectiveness, uh, running the ball, kicking long, hitting up targets was just really satisfying to see, especially against, against that mob, as we've said. Um, and then to, to kind of finish the game off uh, was nice. I mean, you're right. We, we probably could have won that by four or five goals in the end, but you know, in, in that second half, we didn't really put a foot wrong outside of a couple of you know, basic kind of individual uh, skill errors. But um, a, as a team, it was a really promising, promising second half against what is still 
a pretty good team. Now, I think the almost the last point that I made last week was we know what Geelong are going to do. And for the first half, it's exactly what they did. They played the old Geelong style that we see week in, week out. And I don't understand how teams haven't picked it apart more than what they have over over this time. It's basically we go to half time and went, well, we know what they're doing. Um, let's change up what we're doing and, and and fight back at them. And and it's exactly what we did. We changed the game plan. We actually put something in place to stop where their dominance was coming from. And it worked. Um, and it's, it's the sort of the question of, well, we, we saw it happening in the first quarter. Maybe we should have started that some point of the first quarter or quarter time change or it it just felt like well, we'll let them run it for a bit longer than what we probably should have and then okay it's still not working let, let's change it but as I said all along we know how Geelong play and it's a great win but I think we 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 really could have dominated them in that game That that's almost a, a game we've given up a minimum five goal win um, it's, you could sort of, you could forecast it that half time that the, the, how it was looking is exactly how it was going to look five minutes into the game. You're going half time. We're probably going to be four goals down or roundabout. And it went that it pretty much went that way, but good to see that unlike other years and, um, I guess last year we fell over against them at halftime and we've actually come out after halftime and gone, hey, we're actually going to do something to win this match. And it's great to see that we're able to pick ourselves up after, as we're saying, losing basically two players and pull ourselves out of there and come up with a great win. You you mentioned it, H. You talked about... Um kind of having getting to that point of needing to, to switch things up and, and change change the way we play. But I, w- I want to ask you guys, one of the things that, that I think everybody's kind of noticed is, is the way that we start games this year and, and we tend to, to let teams get on a bit of a roll and they keep the first couple or whatever, and then we've got to work our way back into it. And one of the things that I think is, is kind of has been consistent across the entire season so far is that maybe outside of the, the Hawthorne game, although they did kick the, the first one in that game too, but... Um, we tend to start off a game lined up very defensively and we try and control the, control the ball movement, um, not a whole lot of flair or, or dynamicness or, or whatever. And then they kick a, a, kick a couple of goals or, or gain the ascendancy. And then all of a sudden we're like, shit, maybe we should play our game and, and we'll run and gun. We'll run the ball. We'll kick long. You know, we'll try and take the game on for a while. And, all, and you know, we work our way back in the game. We, we take the lead and we play some really good footy. Is it time that we just start games like that? Like sh- this should be our our A game plan, not our B game plan. This is how we play our best footy. We've got the skill set and the tools to do it. Why are we trying to start slow and kind of take control first? Why why not try and hit a game hard and, and hit them when they're not ready for it? You know, smack them from the first bounce and and try and dominate a game. It feels like the opposition have had a, a pretty clean center bounce 
domination in the first five or six minutes where it's like we've got concrete shoes or something like that, where they, they kind of walk it a bit out of the middle. Uh, we've seen that, you know, a couple of our guys might be a fraction off early. I mean, Battle uh, on Saturday dropped that mark going back into defence, which set up Geelong's first goal. We turned the ball over a couple of times. So I don't know what it is exactly, but um, obviously you're not going to get away with that all that often. But we, yeah, we conceded the first three against Fremantle, first two against Richmond, first two against Hawthorne. Uh, first two against Gold Coast. Uh, obviously, Geelong got a, a good start. We kicked the first goal, but they were clearly the, the better side early. So, first, yeah. first thousand against Melbourne. Well, that's right. That's uh, the, the Melbourne, and that's what happens. I mean, we do that against Hawthorne. We can, you know, steady the ship in seven or eight minutes. We do it against Melbourne. We're forty-five points down. That's the the, the reality of what happens when you play in those sorts of bigger games. But yeah, the, I think it. There are patterns to it. I mean. Depends if you want to be glass half full or glass half empty. We've dominated third quarters this year, which is terrific. We've controlled second halves, which is fantastic. But we've started slowly. We would have been behind at halftime five or six times probably this year. Certainly Collingwood, Giants, Richmond, Fremantle, um, Melbourne certainly, um, and even the the, the Geelong game as well. Uh, We've been down at at, at halftime. The only exception was Port Adelaide, which played out the exact opposite of of all of those other matches. But this game reminded me of probably halfway between the Collingwood game and the Richmond game. So the Collingwood game, the score was pretty similar at halftime. I think it was 7-9 to 5-5, and this time was 6-8 to 4-4. So same margin. Uh, we then, you know, fell further behind in the third quarter, then rallied but ran out of gas and got beaten. Against Richmond, we were similar margin behind, rallied, kept going and, and blew them away. This was sort of halfway between those two, and we got the result. So um, there's a lot to like about it, but at the same time, there's a few things to tinker with around why teams are getting out of the gates against this. It's almost, almost an opposite to what we had last year because we had quite a few fast starts last year and then fell over mm-hmm. so it, 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 we've almost like we've flipped the two halves around from what we we're giving last year i mean i can't remember how many times it was but i think max king kicked the first goal of the game i don't know how many times last year it was, it was there was quite a few but and now he's playing good second halves as well mm-hmm. so it, it's almost i don't know whether it's been a purposeful swing towards trying to make sure that we hit teams hard in the third quarter or because I mean, they they call it a premiership quarter, I guess, but it, it's te- generally been the quarter that we've struggled in. When you look back at um, what I think last year, our third quarters were almost the worst in the league, I think. So it's, it's nice to get that change, but yeah, it'd be good to good to get a fast start on someone and then be ahead at halftime and then be able to tear them apart in the third. Yeah, I think that um, yeah, we, we'd love to do it a little bit more comfortably in those circumstances. But yeah, I'm sure that's things that they are looking at behind the scenes. Uh, votes out of that game. Um, it's one that's probably both easy and hard. I sense there's going to be a couple of names that will appear in the votes for all of us. It's just what the other name might happen to be. But H, did you want to uh, keep the floor and, and, and start us off with that? Yeah, I've, I've actually given a few in the way of impact in the way that they actually um influence the game and just a few moments um my one vote i've actually given to marcus wienhager he's come on the ground to replace higgins and 
as much as we don't want to see a player get injured, especially Higgins with a concussion, but that change changed the game, I reckon. He's come on and given us a completely different option. He played pretty much half the game, had 15 touches. Um, I noticed he went at 100% as well. There was no clangers. The That one run through the from the um the boundary near the near the bench where he gets the ball passes it off picks it up again that he he's just run through everyone he's missed the handball completely and then delivered it into the forward line it just that was a second third effort to you sort of look at it, oh a lot of players they miss a handball like that and they throw their hands in the air or put them on the hips and go oh to stop it up or he picked it back up and pushed us forward and sort of thinking, well, yeah, he's the kind of player I'd like to be seeing get full games. I mean, that sort of impact he's had in a half a game, just it just changed us around completely. So he basically gets a vote for the impact and how it changed the way we were doing things. And it was, it was a great game. And I, I, Unless he's getting sore, being a young guy and a bit tired, I'd like to see him play absolutely as many games as possible this year because he gives us so much and he's going to be a huge play for us in the years to come. So um, two to Brad Crouch, huge game. Um, stepped up when Steele was a bit sore. Um, he's got to step up again in the few coming weeks. Um, it's yeah, another... Another great game from him. He's really, really stepping up now. It's, it's, he's showing a reason why we have targeted him, why we wanted him, why we got him to the club. And we're just seeing what he can give us now. It's, he's strung a number of good games together. And it, he, he's probably going to be the one at the moment, probably pushing Sinclair for best and fairest. He's, he, he's going to be right up there with him. Um, there's almost with Jack going out for numerous weeks that, uh, yeah, Crouch Sinclair is almost your Quinella at the moment, I think. So, um, and the three words this week, uh, Paddy Ryder. I, I don't think there's much more you can say about him. That the, the game was, that, that was a match winning game. It, it didn't have a lot of the ball, didn't have, um, I guess I guess huge numbers, but three goals did the job we needed. Popped up whenever we needed someone to do something, and yeah, it's just a just just a match winning performance. That's, and that's what it, that's what he's given us. And it was unlucky that it wasn't four straight with the one hitting the post. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was similar. Um. Apologies to Jack Billings, who had a very good game coming back. Apologies to Seb Ross, who um, was excellent again. Uh, even Jack Steele, his impact wasn't huge in terms of possessions, but the fact that he was out there, if he wasn't out there, we don't win that game. And he had a bung shoulder. I think we could tell that that was an issue. He was playing mostly forward. Um, you could tell when he was tackling people that he pulled the arm away pretty quickly. Um, so that's courageous. That's what you would expect from from Jack and does it so often. Uh, Windhager gets an apology as well. Sinclair gets an apology. Gresham uh, gets an apology as well, but I gave a vote to Kel Wilkie, um, the job he did on Jeremy Cameron, the job he does every week. Um, 
think he deserves that that level of recognition. Um, Jeremy Cameron threatened us a bit in the last quarter, but I, I thought Wilkie's role was pretty important. Two votes to Brad Crouch. I think that's been everything we wanted it to be, that recruit. Um, you talk about, say, the frustrations we've had with the Dan Hanabry one and not necessarily his fault, but, but Brad Crouch has been, I guess, everything we wanted probably out of both of those recruits. And Paddy Ryder, I think um, it was summed up well by the boys in the RWB footy review that they do every week that, you know, the game was on the line. We're all nervous. And and I think, you know, a lot of people might feel the same way, but when Paddy Ryder lined up those two set shots of goal in the last quarter, there was that level of calm and relaxed nature of it. So he'll kick these. It's just what he does. He doesn't miss set shots. He doesn't miss those clutch moments. Um, and I know a lot of players nailed clutch moments like memories on the three-quarter time siren and a few others, but just that inner calm when Ryder was lining up those two shots, it was almost like, okay, we're, we're nine points up, now we're 15 points up. You just knew what was going to happen. And his influence um, as a ruckman uh, coming from another club, I think Michael Gardner was one that we brought in from another club that did wonders for us for a period of time. But and probably if you if you're debating our best recruits ever from other clubs, you're looking at Jack Steele or Fraser Garrick or players like that. But um Paddy Ryder's influence coming from another club has been far greater than I imagined it would be. He's been outstanding. Um so he gets the three votes. But uh, Nick, your yours to finish. Very similar. Uh yeah, special mention to, to Marcus Windhager, as you said, H. I think the, the leadership that he showed when he came on for, for a young fella to come on and do what he did in the second half, uh, stepped up when we needed another midfielder, need another attack at the ball, attack at the contest, uh, puts his body on the line, just does does what he has to do to, to kind of, you know, those those 1% things that, that kind of add up to it to 5 or 10% at the end of the night. Um, and, and his ability to keep driving and keep pushing um, when, when others weren't. Uh, also, apologies to Jack Billings, uh, Cal Wilkie, Jade Gresham, and Rowan Marshall, who I thought were all, all really solid and probably deserving of, of being in the vote. So I gave one vote to Brad Crouch. I thought he was excellent. Uh, 36 touches, seven tackles, five clearances, and 10 score involvements. I don't, I don't think he was he was known uh, to get so involved in, uh, in scoring chains when he was at, at the Crows. I think he was much more of a, I guess high possession but low impact type player at, at Adelaide and, and I feel like he's he's turned that around um he, he's been very very impressive for us this year he has stepped up already and, and we've noticed you know if you look back at, at our votes each week that the, the impact of of Jack Steele has been diluted because others have stepped up not necessarily because Jack Steele's not doing what Jack Steele does but because others have stepped up and, and picked up the slack and Brad Crouch certainly uh I, I guess top of top of the pile in that regard I gave two votes to Paddy Ryder, whose impact was enormous. Um, there was a period, uh, I think it was early in the second quarter, where uh, Rowan Marshall was getting towed in the ruck by Blitzarves. And, uh, and I turned to Phil and said, I reckon they've got to push Rowe forward. He's got to play permanent forward and get Paddy Ryder into the ruck full-time for the rest of this game, or at least until we can get back some control. And to, uh, to Rats's credit, did the exact opposite kind of backed, backed Marshall in the ruck and pushed Paddy forward. And uh, his impact was, was humongous. And, and again, like you said, his, his leadership and the way that he is calm, no matter what the situation, doesn't, never, never gets um, emotional. I mean, you can tell that he's passionate, but he, he doesn't let that kind of get ahead of him. Um, he doesn't get ahead of himself. And yeah, he's just such a, such a calming influence, I think, on, on what is essentially still a, a fairly young team. 
but I go three votes and, and surprised that he didn't sneak into uh, in both of, of your guys' votes. But Jack Sinclair, I thought, was enormous. I thought he was immense. And his ability to keep running and keep driving forward when, when Geelong were kind of controlling the game and, and Jack Sinclair pushing the other way was kind of a lone hand in, in the first half. 650 metres gained uh, from 31 disposals at 81% disposal efficiency uh, is very, very good. And... Uh, well and truly leading our, our votes, I would have thought, at this stage, H. You're sitting about nine ahead at the moment, so... Yeah. yeah. And it's and I like I like the, the reference there. I was speaking before. I think the sign of good players is that they appear to have time and, and you relax. Um, spoke about Paddy Ryder, where if he takes a mark and has a shot at goal, I relax. Jack Sinclair, I relax when he's got ball in hand. You, mm. Even if it, it's only for a moment because the game moves around so quickly, but it's what I imagine, you know, Collingwood fans feel with Pendlebury, that type of thing where mm. oh, yeah, we'll be right, he'll make the right decision, he'll execute this properly. Um, skill stand-up, he's got good vision, all of that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's nice to have those little moments when the ball lands in Sinclair's hands where you're like, okay, we'll be right for the time being I can just sit back for a second I think he's one of those guys that you kind of always trusted when he had the ball in hand and and, but for so many for so many years it was Jack Sinclair yeah he'd play 15 games a year and he'd get dropped for a couple but he'd average you know 14 or 15 touches and they were good touches but you know there's only so much you can do with it with 14 or 15 Mm. touches a game and now he's getting 25 30 a game and, and that impact is so is so heightened because he's a lot more involved in general play all the time yeah, Jack Steele has that too. He's not as skillful as Sinclair, mm. but his decision making again, you relax when he's got ball in hand. Um, yeah. So that's obviously one we'll have to talk about um, in a moment. So enjoying uh, the the prospect of speaking to our our next guest as well. Of course, it is the Sir Doug Nichols round celebrating contributions of Indigenous footballers. St Kilda have had more than most. We've had a, a wonderful history of uh, Indigenous uh, footballers coming through our club. We've got about seven on the list at the moment, all of which have had an impact in one way or another over the course of this season. We've referenced the likes of Ryder and uh, Windhager and, and obviously uh, the, the likes of Hill, Jared Lynott, uh, etc. Uh, coming through uh, Wanganeen Malera, who's back in the side too. But one of those that was a cult hero in the late 90s is our guest on Unplug It. It is Gavin Mitchell. It was behind his back, I reckon, when the whistle blew. Well, Mitchell could kick the winner here. And we see this from another angle. There's a tackle by McIntosh. He leans over, grabs it. Ball comes out the back, can't quite see what we did in the end, but he was a player that knocked it out the back. Well, if Gavin Mitchell can kick this, Saxon in front, and he's kicked it! St Kilda in front in the last minute! Love will give chase. Beveridge, well done. Love will in the back. Free kick St Kilda. Advantage taken by Young. Mark the Healy. He's just had a day out on his birthday and kicked six goals. Seven seconds left. St Kilda have it. St Kilda up the game. Kicked by Healy. Everett. Wooden. Cyril. St Kilda by two points. Remarkable bit. Well, Gavin Mitchell played 88 games of AFL football, 36 with Fremantle before crossing to the Saints at the end of 1997. Had a very good 98 and 99 period and probably fell victim 
to the, the plight of the club in 2000, like a lot of other players did. We've spoken to Jason Heatley, Tony Brown, even last week's guest, Daryl Wakeland. There was a big exodus at the end of that season, and, and that would be it for Gavin. He did kick uh, 64 goals as a Saint. and involved in some pretty significant moments. The, the winning goal against West Coast in 98, Peter Carey taking the mark in front of him as well, kicked five in our first game at Docklands in the year 2000. Uh, Gavin, thank you very much for, for jumping on. Thanks, Darren, and um, Co. Um, appreciate the, um, the call. Wanted to start with the journey to St Kilda. So you played 36 games with Fremantle higher up the ground as well. Freo had improved a bit in, in 97. How did you end up at the Saints and I guess become a specialist small forward? Yeah, look, um, just to go back, just before Freo, I guess um, I got drafted down from Broome. Um, to come down and play for Claremont and Nisham was the um, the coach. Jared Nisham was the coach of Claremont. So I, I had a couple, two good years there and um, they started in, in 95. I was my first year at Claremont was 94. So um, as I said, I had two good years there. They, they didn't draft me in the first year that they started, but 96, I got on board there. Um, had, a, had a really good first year. I think I played um, 21 out of the 23 games of that first year. And the second year, I played about 15 out of the 21. So I didn't perform as well as I did the first year. Um, still did all right, as I said, 15 games due to an ankle injury from memory. So at the end of that year, um, obviously the club always, you know, has to look at their squad. And um, they th- put me up for trade. I had a, had a meeting with Jared Neeson at the end of the year as part of your player review and the option was if it was up to me if I wanted to get traded over to another club. Um, his words to me was they got to play, trade someone good to get someone good. So, look, when a club is telling you that, um, I guess at the end of the year, player review and the players that they recruited that year, as in Peter Bell and Adrian Fletcher were midfield players. I was obviously playing in the midfield at Fremantle. So that sort of told me a message that, um, yeah, there could be room for me to move somewhere else. So look, I was up in Broome on my um, holiday and uh, end of year holiday. And then on the last day of trade period, I, I get a phone call from Stan Elves to ask me if um, I wanted to go over to St Kilda and I didn't hesitate. Um, he said, there's an hour left. Um, they just obviously played in the grand final that year. Uh, my club has always been St Kilda before I even played for Fremantle and yeah, as I said, I didn't hesitate. I was straight over there with it probably about two weeks later. So that's pretty much how I got over to St Kilda. Yeah, yeah and I, I guess a, a bit of a, a two-parter from me, but um, I noticed just having a, a quick look at some of your stats before recording this, but during your time at Fremantle, St Kilda was the only team that you never kicked a goal against. Um, and I, I also wanted to ask around the, the juxtaposition between growing up in WA uh, playing for Fremantle and Claremont's kind of, you know, it, it's Sir Doug Nichols round, um, but but that part of, of the country and, and is kind of Indigenous football heartland. Um, what was that change like? And what was your perception of, of St Kilda coming across from Claremont, Frio to Moorabbin? Yeah, look, obviously growing up in the country town of Broome, I'm, I'm very, very culturally attached to, to culture and, and country. And, and going to Claremont was a good environment for me. There were some Aboriginal players that were... Part of part of that squad, going to Fremantle, we had we had five or six registered or seven, I think, AFL Aboriginal players there. And, you know, we had Clinton Wolf, Winston Abraham, Dale Kickett, Scott Chisholm, 
um, Stephen Coops and a couple of others as well. So that was, I felt fine there at that, that footy club. You say, talk about culture. Well, I was at home there to leave that environment and go and explore another another city that I've, I've only been to Melbourne once before that in 92. Um, it was always a big change in itself. But as I said, I didn't hesitate once Stan gave me the phone call. Um, St Kilda's always been my footy club that have supported um, even before Eagles came in. Um, so as I said, I didn't hesitate. To me, it was like, I'm going over to Melbourne. This is the mecca of footy over here. To walk into a club room like St Kilda at Moorabbin, when you see the, you know, the history of the club, it's got a, you know, massive history of that footy club. Then you're playing alongside blokes as Lowe, Harvey, Burke, Winmar and the others. I didn't hesitate, as I said. The, the, shot, the cultural aspect and change for me was was far and beyond on what I'd believe and then thought that I could expect over there. But I, I loved it over there, every minute of it. Obviously, Fremantle being a very new team in the league, and then they so the, the new team sort of come in and they have new facilities and well, they, I guess they're I guess cleaner and newer and all that sort of thing. And you've just got Fremantle have just started up. And then you come over to Securita, who's got facilities that are, over th- been used for more than 30 years they're very run down very much in need of an update but and, uh, how was the change going from being in Perth and having that new sort of everything there brand new and then walking over here and going okay got the nice old lockers the nice old cold showers the uh, weights that I think <laughs> probably all half cracked what was yeah. the change like going from one place to the other well Really, there wasn't too much of a change because Fremantle were just setting up. They didn't really have a home base. They were, we were training out of, um, you know, sports clubs and um, we didn't even really train on Subiaco Oval, which is a home ground. Um, either we were at the Wacker. So we were, we were just shifting around to, from, from club to club room and um, really didn't have, wasn't settled anyway. So when you look at moving over to St Kilda, well, Moorabbin, I walk into a club with history, as I said before, um, even though it was old and, and a bit run down, but to me, you know, I've, I've come from, from worse than that. And that was, that was a step up for me. So uh, the, just, just the aura and the environment in the club with the ultimate with all the players as well, you, you just feel at home. So there wasn't really too much of a, a, a change in, you know, environment when you look at, you know, the, the facilities of the club. My knowledge of the, the early days, so 1998, you came in, started really well. You kicked um, 12 goals in the first six games that you played. But the 12th of those goals was in the game against the West Coast Eagles at Subiaco, where we came from five goals down. Everett and Healy each kicked six. You got Ashley McIntosh holding the ball with 46 seconds to go. Now, footy in the late 90s, I don't remember them ever paying holding the balls in the forward line, particularly in Western Australia. It's a Victorian team. So... Were you surprised when the whistle blew? And can you take us through that moment whilst it's not quite after the siren, it is the winning goal? Yeah, look, the last quarter was 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 pretty much, as you say, we're 30, 30 points down or five goals down. To come back in about 30-plus degree heat um, coming from Melbourne, we were all on our feet and um, we, we worked hard that last quarter and, and I just saw the opportunity, you know, McIntosh was over the ball and I put my hand up pretty much straight away trying to cover him up and you can only hope the umpire going to give you the give you the free kick and when he did I didn't hesitate I was pretty much confident that that's my free kick I'm going to kick the goal 
Um, no doubt in that the crowd gave it to me, obviously, as you would probably see on the footage. Um, trying to put me off, but yeah, kicked the goal and, you know, we won the game pretty much. That was the last goal, score of the game and um, sort of turned around and smiled at the crowd a little bit as well. <laughs> now, Gavin, a couple of weeks after that, you were involved in, in another moment, uh, again, against a, a WA team, but uh, there was a moment against, against Fremantle. I think it was Adrian Fletcher uh, kicks the ball inboard from, from around the boundary line. Uh, I can't remember who he was trying to square it up to in the middle, but uh, all of a sudden, Peter Carey, the umpire, takes the mark in, in the centre square and you were there on the scene. What, what, was, what was that moment like? I think you were the first to arrive. You kind of grabbed him, had your arms around yeah. him. What, what did he say to you and, and what did you say to him in, in that moment? Look, yeah, um, Brad Weir was actually Weir was playing on me at that, that, that time and he'd run forward. So I, had to, I was a little bit behind him and um, ended up, you know, finding myself in the middle of him and Peter Carey. And um, yes, Fletcher just tried to switch the ball in board before you know it, Kerry's jumped up and took the chest mark. And yeah, I'm sure Brad would be the same. It was just throwing me away. I said, well, what do I actually do here? Do I tackle him or do I get the ball off him? Or is it, is it play on? Or I wasn't too sure what to do. So um, he, he was in just shock, as much shock as, as I was, I think, and everybody else around because I've never seen that before. So yeah, just a moment of, um, of um, disbelief about, well, you're not supposed to be taking the chest mark here, mate. It was either mine or Brad. So... Yeah, something I always remember. Obviously, I think it's um, it's it's set, set in stone there for a long time. That you know, probably one of the only times it'll ever happen. Have you have you seen him since? I haven't. I think that was his. He was approaching three hundred games by then. When you look at Peter Carey, so he's on his way out too. I haven't. I've, I've heard him since, but I haven't really seen him at all. Um, yeah, it'd be it'd be nice to catch up with him one day and just just um, you know, go back over those moments. Well, we're discussing before we came on air that um, you're probably lucky it wasn't these days because you'd probably get four or five weeks for grabbing the umpire like that now. So yeah. um, it's, it's probably a it's, it's a good thing it happened back then. It's 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 a, a highlight that's actually quite good to go back and watch because you're sort of thinking back at that time and thinking that look that that's great football and um, the the game has changed a lot. Um, have you have you sort of kept up with like how the game is played compared to what it was back when you were playing and, and sort of how do you think you would slot into, uh, I guess, a team these days? Do you think you'd play still a similar role or do you reckon it'd be something, I guess, it's kind of a different role for you these days? Yeah, look, um, I guess, I think the players these days are versatile. They, they, they shift from, you know, all they play all sorts of positions depending on what the team's required on the day and the team you're playing. Back in the day, you were, you were forward pocket. Well, you're set as a forward pocket. You're lucky to get a run on the ball if you've got a chance. Um, so you played your position. Um, one other thing is is the interchange. You know, you if you got dragged at a, you know it's half time or three quarter time, you're lucky to get back on because you're obviously not doing okay. Today they rotate you know the players in a in a way that I think that is better for the game because you're going to get you know good footy for a long time for the whole four quarters. Well, I remember running out at um, Waverley, you know, three quarter time. I'm, I'm gone. I think geez, I've got another quarter to go here. You're out in your feet. Um, so if the, the pace of the game is obviously picked up, I think that I'd be, you know, nothing would really change for me. You, you play your position and it's hard to say from there to here, but um, I guess I'd get more of a rest and probably can play four quarters of the footy um, and more of an impact, I guess. 
Speaking of, of the way the games changed, there was another game in, in 1998 that you had an impact on towards the end of the game. It was round 17 against Essendon. Do you have any memories of, of that game? Are you talking about um, Damien Hardwick? Damien Hardwick and James Hurd with about three minutes to go. Yeah. Not, not yeah, sure we'd look- see too many, too many of those, those uh, in today's game either. <laughs> yeah, look, I apologise to those blokes, but again, back then, that's, that's the way the footy, footy went, you know, you you're in the way you you're gonna get you're gonna get taken out, but um, you know those the game was was tight then in the last quarter. I guess we needed players to stand up as well, and you bit adrenaline running through your blood at the same time. You're, you're trying to make an impact and, and set the scene here, and you know I don't think I played that well that day, but I tried to have an impact in the last quarter. To James, you know, adverse effect. It didn't help him him a lot, but it probably stirred up Essendon more than anything. Um, yeah, so I, I, I wouldn't take wouldn't take that back if I would any if I could anyway. So that's a way for his blood. I think the bombers. Well, I think we were we were three points up at that point. And they they kicked a goal and, and we just couldn't score in the last the last minute or so, and they rolled us by by a couple of points in the end. I think from memory. Yeah, so it's probably my fault that I shouldn't have stirred them up. <laughs> the, the transition ninety eight into ninety nine. Obviously, we're on top of the ladder for a lot of ninety eight. Uh, faded a bit. Still played finals, but got bundled out. Then Stan Ells was was shown the door, replaced by Tim Watson. What did you make of that? I mean, you'd only been at the club for one year. It was a, a pretty tumultuous end to that season. Yeah, look, um, as I said earlier, Stan was the one who gave me the phone call to, to get me over to, to St Kilda and um, to see him walk out the following year was what wasn't wasn't good in my eyes. I mean, the club's got to do what they got to do, but you know, to me, Stan was a passionate guy. To to get we lost, I think, in Sydney a prelim. Um, by a couple of points, and that cost him his job. So we really, to me, it, they should have kept him for a bit longer because um, he was he was obviously gotten to the grand final the year before. We were actually won most of our games in 1998. 99 were, you know, um, we still went all right. But I think by losing Stan, it changed the whole game plan and the whole mentality of the squad we had, which is a great squad, um, to be successful you know, come to year 1999, even 2000, we would have actually picked up our game and, and, and done all right. We had a great squad, as I said. So to lose Stan was, was difficult, um, I guess, for everybody at the club, knowing, you know, what he'd done for the club. And um, to me, a coach that's got to, you know, have, have a good stern word to you is, is not a bad thing as well because sometimes you need that. Footy today can be... A little bit more controlled in that sense, where you, you you really don't see coaches going off to play as much. It's all very technical around you know game plans, and you have more coaches now with forward line, back line, and midfield, and, and what have you, and everybody else as well on the side. So I think Standers are to me is a terrific leader. Um, we just probably should have stuck with him a couple more years. And the other big change the club had in the time you were there was moving from Waverley to the Docklands, but you started off at the Docklands with an absolute bang, as Darren mentioned earlier, kicking five goals, but then your basically season had a huge interruption in the middle. And as we know, that was the, your final season with the club. Um, having played a lot of, like, or I guess all of your junior football and then your first few seasons over in West Australia, where you find the harder grounds and, I guess the dustier sort of grounds. 
knowing what the Docklands was like, you know, when it first opened, um, did you find that you actually liked the conditions in the Docklands when we first moved there? Yeah, I did, a little bit slippy, but I didn't have a problem with it. I'm, you know, undercover. It's brand new ground, so why, you, why wouldn't you look forward to it? Um, I said I started off okay there, but I guess the team really didn't perform there that well that year, and um, obviously form from players all deteriorate, and we all struggle from player to player, and it's pretty hard to, to pick yourself back up. We had a new game plan in place, a new coach, and and, um, you know, so it was difficult with the, it's not only the ground, there's a lot of things that you could probably point your finger at that made it had an impact on players' performance all around, um, let alone myself. And, um, yeah, I didn't perform as, as well as I did the two pre, two previous years. But, I, but again, I think, um, you know, coming from WA, I, I was always thinking about home as well. One day I'm going to get back to Broome because, you know, I'd, I'd left Broome at a, at a young age to go to, to, to Claremont. So I'd spent a good you know, at least five years over at Claremont and Perth, six years, and I went over to Melbourne for those three, end of 1997 to 2000, another four years. So at some point in my head, I was, you know, I wanted to get home. Um, I still had a year on my contract. Um, I had a meeting with the, the club at the end of the year, got a phone call from um, player manager, and I said, look, I think I'm going to stay in Brooklyn. I'm, I'm sure I'm done. Um, so really didn't get delisted. I guess that's the, the wording that's around that, as we as we see in the, in the books, but it was my decision to, to walk out. Um, even they had another year in my contract. Uh, one of the I guess the, the little known facts about you, Gavin. Uh, I guess during the period that you that you played, state of origin football was was being phased out. But you actually played a couple of games for, for WA against South Australia uh, over a, a period of time. What was what was that like for you? Yeah. Look. Um, to me, it was, you'd never think ever that I'd play any state games, um, let alone Waffle or State of Origin at AFL level. Um, and to, to play with all with all your peers in the same team, um, that's that's the ultimate. Um, and I'd never ever thought I'd ever get there, but obviously with good form, you're going to get picked um, with the with the state state of origin games, you know, sort of middle of the year or early to middle. So if you're having a good start of the year, which everybody's fit by then, you're performing, you're going to get a spot. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't change it for the world, right? Um, yeah. What's life looked like post St Kilda? As we said, a lot of guys moved on at around about the same time in terms of your football journey and your, your work journey and, and things like that. And I guess even your, um, your supporting of the Saints since then from afar? Yeah, look, I guess life after footy for me, um, I went back to Broome, um, obviously played a couple of seasons there with the local club for about four seasons there. Um, I, I didn't even go to Claremont after after going, uh, leaving St Kilda, which I probably could have done, but I, by then I, I had enough and, and wanted to go back to Broome. So I spent a few years there. And then I went back, um, I'm originally from Port Hedland, so I went back to Port Hedland in about 2005 and I... Um, I met all my family again um, and I'm going through tribal law because um, I've been away for a long time and the old people always wait for you. So I'm still there today and I'm chairman of our corporation that runs all our business out of Port Hedland and a director on that board and have been for since really 2005 on those committees and um, also run my own company called Mitchell Corporate Group. Um, I've given it a plug, but um, I don't really have to sell it too much, but doing some consultancy work for 
mining companies that have, you know, have their green, native title agreements or mining agreements on our country where we share our culture with them and we're, we're able to understand one another so we can go and work together. Um, so I do that. I get my partner, Naomi Pickerel, which is, she's from Broome, and, um, you know, it, it, it keeps, us, keeps us busy on our terms. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. There's a few things in between, but more, more and more involved with, um, with, our, with our native title group at the moment, trying to help them to get where they, they need to go to, to support our people on the ground back in Port Hedland. And in terms of post-football, the um, our, our viewers can't see you at the moment. We haven't got you on our footage, but we saw you just before we started. The, the one trademark that you had when you were playing seems to have disappeared. Do, do people actually recognise you anymore without the moustache? <laughs> yeah, well, it's probably, it's, it's a common theme today in, in AFL. There's not only, there's, um, there's moustaches, there's mullets and all sorts of things going on today. If you, if you had one of those before, you'd be pretty, you know, segregated and, and put aside. Um, so, yeah, it's been a while, as, as I say, it's been nearly 22 years this year since I've played. Just a few people, you know, know who I am, but I, I try and steer away from that. That's not who I am today. Um, you know, life goes on, I guess, after footy. Um, where I'm at today is, is about family and, and, and doing my own thing and waking up every morning on my terms, you know, just trying to live my life. So, yeah, um, the moustache thing is probably the only one who wore it back then, but I see everybody with it today. I should claim some royalties on it, actually. <laughs> now, last one from me, mate, and, and thanks again for, for doing this with us uh, tonight. But it is Sir Doug Nichols' round uh, in season 22 for anyone who's listening to this in the future. But uh, you mentioned how, how closely connected you are to, to your culture and, and your history how does it feel now, having having been out of the game for, for 20 years, watching the Indigenous crop of kids and First Nations people playing in today's a- AFL? What, what does that mean to you? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm, um, I always support our people um, and, and no matter what team they play for, always you know, hope, hope the best for them and, and not only for that game, but for their careers as well. Because um, you know, footy footy is only there for a short part of your life, and and if you can make the best of it while you're there, we'll we'll go for it. So I um, in the last few years, sort of going back before three years ago, I'd sort of gotten away from footy and didn't really get involved or watch much games. But the last three years, I have, and um, and um, I, I watch every Saints game and as many footy games as I can, and especially to support our players um, in any shape or form I can um, with the Indigenous round and. You know, I value that. Um, I wish we would have had that back when we were playing. Um, but again, you look at where I'm at today. I'm part of the Past Players Club with Fremantle. I don't live far from from the from the footy club today. Um, so they get us get us down there a fair bit. Um, help out with their juniors on my terms again when I'm when I'm available. But I'd love to get back to the Saints Footy Club as well and be a part of that Past Players Club. I had lost contact with them for the last twenty odd years, so. If you guys got any contacts in there, we'll hook me up. Certainly, we can certainly do that. Point, um, point some some people in the in the right direction for that as as well. And and I guess 
signing off on the on the chat. You you played sixty two games uh, overall. Sorry, I think you played fifty two games for the Saints, eighty eight overall. But what's your lasting memory? What's the one that you you often go back to the most in your mind? Uh, look, it, to me, it's it's not um, any particular game. It's it's the the players that you that you your teammates that you you play with. Um, you know, the, the era that I played in, you know, I think I went there at the right time. In my view, when you look at the Lowe's, the Burks, the Harveys, you know, all those people, the Winmars, the Heatleys, I just don't want to miss anybody. Even the Tony Browns and the Aussie Jones and all those people that, you know, you know that, that have played at the club when I were there. Um, that's the memories that I take away because you share some special moments. You know, when you win a game, we would actually go on okay there to, to, to share in those victories and the, the club going okay is, is the moments that I'll, that I'll never forget. Um, and to look at some, you know, old photos from back then around the huddle, around the change room after you win a game. Um, Alistair Clarkson was there as well. There's a photo of myself, Tony Brown and Alistair Clarkson, you know, around the huddle singing our song after a game at Waverley. And you look at those moments and, and that's, that's what I take away from the game. Um, the footy is big business. Um, and I didn't know that. You're just a product in the market. Today I do. Um, so I tell any young kid out there today to take that opportunity and run with it because you, you, you're not going to be there forever. Um, take that chance. Gavin, yeah, appreciate it. I had a, a lot of fun uh, with this one tonight. So um, thanks for, for jumping on and, and thanks for the contribution. I think we've all got some, uh, some wonderful memories of your, your time with the club and, and we certainly wish you all the best. Thanks, guys. Um, much appreciate the uh, the hookup. Um, yeah, happy to help out wherever I can and get back to the Saints at some point. Thank you, mate. Perfect. I've just um, flicked your message on Facebook as well, just on that, saying that, yeah, if you shoot me a number or an email address, I'll point you in the right direction. It gets Russell Morris and a few of those blokes that, that sort of run all of that. So, um, yeah, they'll, yeah. Uh, Cos- they're always Cosy. looking. And Cosy, yeah, they're always looking for more names. So, we'll, um, yeah, 100%. Go to the Saints this year. You never know what could happen. Yeah. Gavin Mitchell there really enjoyed that chat. He was uh, he was terrific, very uh, open and, and spoke um, very well about a, a number of uh, those key moments during his time at the Saints and, and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll be able to point him in the right direction so we can obviously stay connected with those guys from that particular era. We look to uh, the Adelaide Crows. It's funny, we when we think about poor records for St Kilda and cursed records. We think of Port Adelaide, but the, the Adelaide record is very similar. I think the only issue was Adelaide were better than us for most of that time and used to flog it so the losses didn't hurt as much, whereas Port would beat us by a point, two points, three points, five points. Losses that sort of stick in your craw a little bit longer. But uh, since 2012, we've played 22 games against the South Australian teams and only won two of them. We're two and 20. And those two wins came in the same week in 2020, five days apart at the uh, at the Adelaide Oval. So we do owe them one. And for those asking, we've only played them four times at Marvel Stadium collectively out of those 22 games, which shows, uh, again, a bit of a quirk in the fixture. But uh, effectively, just the one change this week with um, Windhager elevated into the squad. Um, but Wanganine Malera will replace Higgins in the lineup for this week. There would have been a temptation on Butler to like for like in a small forward sense, but giving him a bit more time with the Achilles. Uh, Hunter Clark, Brett Ratton made it very clear that he needs another one in the twos. It is a shame the VFL side had a bye last week. Otherwise, you'd think that he would have slotted in this week getting that additional game. We saw Billings play two in the reserves. 
And the other temptation might have been Mitch Owens, who's been playing a role of forward mid at um, VFL level to maybe get that opportunity in the seniors. But um, they're not too far away, uh, those guys, from, from pushing up. I think the changes were right. Wanganee Malera was, was rested last week and deserves to get his spot back. Uh, and Windhager was a must-pick, really. Um, so I don't mind the way they've done it. And they've got the options of guys like uh, Gresham or Billings to sort of rotate through the forward line and, and Wanganeen Malera as well. Even Brad Hill, we saw him play forward against Hawthorne. So th- there are a few options there. Um, I-, I guess my assessment of it is that Adelaide have had some good moments this year, mainly early. They pushed Fremantle, they beat Ports, they beat the Bulldogs in Ballarat, they beat Richmond's. The last three weeks, they've, they've struggled a little bit, got flogged by Carlton, flogged by GWS, so a good for a half against Brisbane and then got um, belted in that game as well. So I'm hoping, we, we've seen a little bit of it with Hawthorne and a little bit of it with Collingwood, that, that maybe some of those younger sides that started the year well are coming back to the pack of fraction. So maybe maybe that's the case for them. But look, it's a dangerous game. If they can push Fremantle to a point at home, lead Brisbane at halftime and beat Richmond then obviously we're going to have to be on our toes. We haven't played without Jack Steele for a very long time. So uh, it is that opportunity for everybody to step up and take that responsibility. It's a game we should win. We are better than they are, uh, but they have some weapons that can hurt us. Tech always kicks eight against us. Uh, Josh Rashali is a very good player. Um, but yeah, it, we have the weapons to stop that. And we just have to make sure that we're on um, because it is a game that we should win. It's. Definitely a danger game. They, they're the kind of team who's going to pop up and beat teams just for no reason sometimes. Like a game you go, no, they, they shouldn't win this, and then they just pop up and they win. And you think, okay, they're, they're, they're I guess, unpredictable. Their best and their worst are very far apart. We And as you're saying, hopefully we help them on the weekend that they're a little bit off. Um, they've had... I guess the tough game against Brisbane last week, they're probably hopefully a little bit tired and that sort of thing, but they don't have to travel. So they've got that on their side this week. Um, it's it's a case of we have to turn up and be on from the start, as we are discussing before. We, we want to start a game strong, put their crowd to bed early, just keep them quiet because if they get up early, the crowd really get into them and that it's something they've, I guess over there, it does make a little bit of a difference. And as you're talking about with their record, it, it seems to be something that does give them a little bit of an advantage over there that compared to, I guess, it's a bit more sanitized here in Melbourne. A lot of the times it's not as big as to go to Adelaide or to Perth or any of those, but it's be good to quieten them very early and just, just, I guess, keep them out of the game, keep a nice little margin between us and, not give them that hope to get back into the game. So it's a danger game. One that, as you say, should should be a win. But it, we can't just go right down the four points now. That there's definitely no no we're going over there to take it the points. We we're going over there. We need to win the points. There's yeah, it's it's not going to be just given to us. Yeah, I can't see it being a pretty night, Nick. I imagine that uh, even if we get the win, there'll be some some tense and, and anxious moments. I think so. I mean, there there always there always mm. are against against that mob. And and you're right, it's it's a massive danger game. Um, and you know, we'll, we'll talk about 
that hashtag or that saying, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure a, a little bit later on, but um, you, know, you, you almost expect it that you can't, you have a big win and then you have a, a devastating loss. That's you know, part and parcel of being a St Kilda fan. And so we, you know, we've got to do everything in our power to, to make sure that, that doesn't happen. And like you said, like we touched on uh, earlier in the show, you just got to come out firing. You've got to be switched on from the, the, the opening bounce, from the warm up, you know, before the bounce. And you've got to smack him in the face right from the first second of the game and don't let up. Foot down from the very beginning and make sure that this one, this one counts because you just cannot, you cannot have wins like we had last week and then let games like this slip. Yeah, we've got to get to the bye eight and three effectively. So. Adelaide and North, two games that we would anticipate banking, but there's nothing that's easy in, in football. Um, if you could do that and then you've got the buy, then you could negotiate half of Jack Steele's absence um, and then hopefully obviously comes back, you know, at, at six weeks, not eight. So fingers crossed on, on that sense. But, but yeah, got to start well. Um, it's funny, I'd, I'd actually rather play them at the Adelaide Oval than Cairns, put it that way. It's, it's a normal football ground. It feels it feels like a conventional fixture rather than a quirky one like last year. I would have rather play Port Adelaide at the Adelaide Oval as well mm. instead of um, venturing across to uh, to where we played them. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's there for us to take. But in saying that, the Crows have been dangerous enough against good opposition this year that we're, we're certainly going to have to earn it. And hopefully they are hitting the wall a little bit because that would be nice. The Giants kicked something like 15 goals and a half against them a few weeks ago. Um, but then they obviously came out and, and played pretty well against Brisbane. So nullify techs. I think we've got their... We should have their midfield covered. I know Keys and a few of these others are all right. But um, if we can... If Ryder and and um, Marshall can be on top of O'Brien in the ruck, and fingers crossed we can we can limit that influence. But onto some of those topics, um, that's so St Kilda to to start off with. Uh, it, it's harder after those good wins for for mine. It's probably we looked at Max Gorn, and I know that's often the luck that that goes the way of the better sides in the competition. It's just the way it is. But you saw Brody Grundy and Mark Pitney have knee-on-knee contacts in previous weeks, and it was a PCO, and they're out for 10 weeks. Max Gorn had a knee-on-knee contact. He was tested and played the following week. It's just the way it works for those teams. He doesn't do his PCL. When was the last time we had a St Kilda player go, escapes an injury scare? You just knew when you woke up on Sunday morning that there'd be a press release coming out saying that Jack Steele needed surgery and would miss six to eight weeks or three months or whatever it may be. There was never any chance with our club that there was going to be Jack Steele cleared of damage, it's a stinger, test to play next week. It just does not happen. Um, so as soon as he went down, you're like, yep, that'll be whatever the worst case scenario is, that's what it'll be. It's like if we have a calf or an Achilles, it'll be an Achilles. It's just the way it goes. But yeah, that's, that's so St Kilda. If that was Christian Petrarca, uh, that would have been a test and he would have played this week. Oh, come on! <laughs> I think to add to, yeah, I was going to say to just to add on to that slightly, you sort of talk about before saying, oh, it's the best win in the year. And it'd be so secure that we have our best win in the year and lose our best player. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. that's pretty much how that all ties <laughs> in together. I think so. There, there, there's your there's your total one, I think. Yeah, and if someone was going to get concussed, it was going to be Jack Higgins, the player that can probably ill afford one. Well, you, you just <laughs> yeah. you just stole my thunder Sorry. because, because <laughs> if there was if there was any player that can't afford a, a, a head knock like like that or a concussion, mm-hmm. it's Jack Higgins. And every other player gets 
bigger, harder, stronger head knocks than mm. than whatever it was than Jack Higgins cops on on the weekend. And yeah, you know, a bloke like that, it was the most innocuous contest. And and I think even sometimes you listen to the the interviews um, after the game with, with Rats and some of the other guys, and then throughout the course of the week, sometimes they're not even sure where exactly that the impact happened or what caused the concussion. And the fact that he came back on and he played out pretty much the rest of the, the, the second quarter um, and then started to feel crooked at halftime. Yeah. For, that, that to me feels so St Kilda that a bloke can cop the most innocuous head knock, but it's the guy that has had so many head knocks. It's had brain surgery. Couldn't have happened to the bloke with the hardest head in the team that just kind of shakes it off and, and keeps going. But it happens to, to Jack Higgins who has been fantastic for us for the most part, but has this history of, of head issues and, and brain issues. And he's just the one bloke that you just, you know, you don't want to, you almost don't want to risk going out there because these things can happen. Yeah. and it, Jim, just, yeah. To, just, just to add to that, I think, is it so secure that our players get suspended for giving concussions? <laughs> and, 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 and we never hear a word about it any other way. So, I mean, I don't think I don't think Colin Dajin should be suspended for what happened, but I don't think Ryder should have been either. No. That's 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 what it is. I'm not saying that oh, he should be suspended because Paddy was. I don't think either of them should have been. Yeah, I mean Ryder got suspended effectively for standing still. I mean, if that were the case, then half of what Toby Green's done is worth 17 weeks based on that. But <laughs> um, yeah, it's it is very very frustrating. You look at players that play the game as human wrecking balls. Guys like Ben Long, for example, mm. that you know he's so far touch wood escaped those concussion issues and fingers crossed that remains the case. But Higgins isn't that type of player. He's, he's certainly been unlucky to have copped it the, the way that he has and. Yeah, you'd, you'd sense that they'd be ultra cautious and maybe hold him to the bye. Mm. Um, but yeah, look, he's, he's effectively won us three games so far this year. Um, we look to our H H. Did, have you got? Did, did you do you one? Do yours? Well, oh, basically, it, it, those couple together. of things yeah. in amongst there. Yep, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I think we just had a whole week of just just one. I it was a whole. Um, one big one this week, I think. Looking at it, so but before before we do move on, I, d- I want to flip the script just very slightly because a lot of the time when we talk about that, so St Kilda, we talk about these negative things, and mm-hmm. and because that's what we do. But mm-hmm. um, one of the things that that seems a new that so St Kilda was our third quarter against mm-hmm. Geelong, and in previous years you talk about the Port Adelaide game being that so St Kilda because that's what we do. We drop the bundle, we let it slip. But in that game, what was not so St Kilda was our third quarter against Port. Um, and that was the outlier uh, pretty much a, across the whole season was that Port game in what would have historically been a so St Kilda game. That was not so St Kilda that third quarter. And third quarters this year have been our thing. And again, against Geelong, it, it's, you know, they call it the premiership quarter for, for a reason. It's where you take the game by the scruff of the neck and, and you make things happen. And that's what we've been doing. And you know, long may it continue that that becomes that so St Kilda. And you know what the big the big head fuck out of all of that is, is that our third quarters have been that so St Kilda, and we had one outlier, and it's so St Kilda that the outlier was against Port. 
So, this is getting yeah, to uh, to Black getting Mirror into, type levels of that. So, St Kilda getting into X Files um, type intensity. territory. That's that's right. That only Port Adelaide could break the uh, could break the run, which is uh, so very typical of of us when we play against them. Now, speaking of tying it all together, Nick, I might throw the, the floor to you to start us off with both the Shannon Knoll Award and the Jason Blake Award because uh, you've got a bit of a twist on it. Yeah, a bit, bit controversial, but I've, I've gone with Mason Wood for both the Jason Blake Award and the Shannon Knoll Award. And I'm going to start with the Jason Blake Award because I think on the whole, Mason Wood has been very good for us. And I think that he doesn't get a lot of credit for what he does because there's other guys like uh, Jack Steele, Jack Sinclair, Cal Wilkie amongst St Kilda supporters, maybe not amongst the rest of the league, but... Um, Paddy Ryder, Rowan Marshall, Tim Membry, Max King, Jack Higgins, etc., get the, the limelight, they get the plaudits, they get the credit. Mason Wood just does what he does, and, and he's been very important, playing a really significant role. Doesn't mean that he's going to get 20 or 25 touches every week, but he might get 12 or 13 or 15 in that kind of old Jack Sinclair type role that we touched on before, a kind of link-up role. He's able to you know, move between the arcs. He's, he's he is a hit-up type player from, from a kick-out or, or from that transition from defence to the wing, and then he pushes forward and he drives forward really, really efficiently. Um, and, and he's done that role really well for us pretty much since the second half of last year, since he came back into the team. Uh, was pretty good last year, but has stepped it up again this year. And, and I find it he's probably one of those guys that is on the bubble. When you get everyone fit and healthy, that he's probably one of those guys that is – you know, does he, does he, is he named one more week? Does he get another go? Um, and ultimately I think it comes down to moments and Paco, I think we've all touched on moments in games and, and as we keep winning games, finding uh, winners or, or candidates for the Shannon Noll award gets harder and harder. And it comes down to moments like, like we said, and, and Mason Wood over the last month has just had a couple of those moments where they're just brain fades generally in front of goal. I think in the first couple of weeks, he kicked three, three goals straight. And since then, he's kicked one goal five in the last three or four weeks. And most of the time, they're fairly straightforward shots of goal. You know, they're, they're from directly in front or slight angles, you know, 25, 30 metres out in important moments. We're talking last quarter, um, last quarter when the game is tight and, and things are hot and you've got to convert um, to, to make it count. And he's just just ever so slightly let himself down in, in some of those moments. And, oh, I think it's going to come down to those types of things. When, when you get, you know, Jack Billings is back, when you get Hunter Clark back and Jack Higgins comes back and Butler comes back and uh, Wanganin Malera is fit and firing. Obviously, he's, he's back in this week, but Mitch Owens is, is fit and firing and he's performing it at, in the twos. And Ronnie Burns is, is best on ground nearly every week. And, and, you know, you've got to find, you've got to find places for guys that are performing. You've got to reward form and as good as Mason Wood has been in, in his role if he doesn't improve some of these little things these moments that are really important then I fear that he's going to be on the cusp of of, of selection almost every week Yeah, and I think, you know, the good thing about this segment is generally when we've nominated players, there has been a response. So we'll talk about Tim Embry last week with clutch goals and then he kicks a big one on the three-quarter time siren, that type of thing. And, 
yeah, Mason Wood against Melbourne, if he kicked a couple of those chances in the third quarter, we might have been within a couple of goals at three-quarter time and, and made things really interesting. And then, obviously, yeah, the, the chance to seal it against Geelong. But, H, you might as well roll in. You can chuck both in uh, here as well. Yeah. Um, I think I'll go with the um, Jason Blake Award for Cal Wilkie. Um, he's... he's if, the numbers that I've seen today, that uh, stats that have come out, um, I saw something that came along, gave the mention along the lines of that he has only conceded, um, what was it, five goals or six goals? For, oh, sorry, nine goals for the season, I think it was. And, or was it, sorry, no, five goals in nine games in nine rounds, he's conceded. And it was only about 46 possessions in all those matches that his opponent has picked up. It is it's, it's crazy numbers. That that's, that, that is just denying your opponent, not letting them beat you, not letting them have the opportunity to make you look silly, make you look bad. That is, is just saying, I might not get the ball that much, but you're not going to get it either. It's, it's, I guess it's like an old fashioned defender keep the ball away from your opponent and it's working and it's working brilliantly. He's outplaying his opponent most weeks. Um, and I mean, he, he definitely gets a recognition from all of us and all of our supporters. Um, we're not, we don't seem in any, I guess, rolling all Australian teams or many teams at a week or anything, but he gives that effort every single week. And, I mean, if you line up the stats against all the other defenders who probably are making these rolling teams, he's probably beating most of them. So that, I think, is where the recognition needs to start coming. It needs to be recognised a bit more by the media. But at the same time, we'll keep him quiet and there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with a quiet achiever because he... I mean, sure, it doesn't surprise the opposition too much at what he's doing, but it definitely surprises a lot of their fans because they wouldn't have any idea about who they're playing against a lot of the time. So you get you get people that watch their own team and that's it. So they've got no idea what they're coming up against and, yeah, it gives them a nice little surprise. Incredible consistency um, too, because yeah. he hasn't missed a game since his... Since, since arriving. Yeah. Yeah. 19, mm. yeah. Mm. yeah, correct. Yeah. Which is, is amazing um, and, for someone who and, came in the way that he did and where he's, mm. where he's come from. It's a veteran and, from and day one. For, yeah. for, a, for a defender as well. It's it's mm. not... Um, it's You find... Well, pretty much all of our other defenders have had a game off here, game off there because they've had niggles or whatever. But he just seems to be built the way that he, he gets this yeah, consistency going. And he, he, he never looks like he's like really putting in a lot of effort. It just seems he's very, um, I guess, he does it easy almost. So it, he's playing, I guess, nice football when he's able to just continue doing so. Um, but I was just thinking the, if he does continue this trend up for a long time, I think there was a chance that Jack Jack Frost might miss this week. So his, his um, streak may be over. Yeah. Oh, Jack Crisp, yeah. Yeah, Crisp, yeah. Um, yeah. So, 
yeah. Um, so I think he he possibly could be using his one. Though Cal's a fair way off, but hey, who knows? He could get up there. It'd be not very nice to have a player that has that sort of consistency over a long period of time. Um, but yeah, going for the back the other way to the Shannon Noel. Um, I'm going to continue riding him. <laughs> I want him to tear someone apart. I want. I want Max to destroy someone and I'm going to ride him until he does. He's it's, it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. And I'm basically just going to keep saying his name until he at at least gives us the high five. It looks like, it looks like Borat. He's got to give us a high five. (laughs) Let's see it. (laughs) He was pretty close on, uh, on Saturday. Uh, Obviously the couple early and, and he had a hand in a lot of goals late Mm. in the game. It was a nearly day where he just built marks and, just missed a couple of yeah, shots. Just, the, uh, it, it, the best marks he's taking are yeah, the on the wing. Yeah. yeah. He had a, he had uh, a big influence. Yeah. The thing about Max, and I think the way that he's developed, and, and you're right, he hasn't had that massive game so far this year, but the, there's, I feel like there's a big difference in, in his mentality or his willpower or strength of will or whatever you want to call it. Last year, yeah, he, he might clunk a few early and then miss a couple of shots at goal and he'd kind of drop his head and he'd stop competing, he'd stop uh, stop leading or, or whatever. This year, you know, he, he takes a mark or he drops a mark even and, and misses a shot at goal. All of a sudden, he's running 100 metres for the next contest and he does it throughout the course of the game. And, and his, his work ethic seems to have improved considerably, but also his resilience that he can miss a couple of shots at goal but he's going to keep coming. He's going to keep coming for it. He's going to keep jumping at it. He's going to keep getting two hands to it. And that you're right, H. That game is going to yeah. come, and it's going to come yeah. big time. When when it comes, it's it's you know it's going to pour. Yeah, I, I don't H, think he's. Yeah. I don't think he's actually. He's not actually doing a lot wrong. I, mm. I've got to say, he's not doing a lot wrong. It's just, yeah. There's there's that explosion going to happen at some point, and you just know it, it's there, ready to happen. He yeah, might save it up for the poor old Eagles of his monstered in the past. He might, might give them yeah. a bit of a stick again, kick ten or something this time, um, which would be which would be nice. But um, yeah, I wanted to give uh, an apology for the Jason Blake award to Cooper Sharman. Um, I thought his job was solid; didn't dominate, but Tom Stewart's influence was was limited. Uh, didn't take an intercept mark until I think early in the last quarter or just before three quarter time. His meters gained were, were a fair way down, um, and a lot of that to do was with, with what Sharman was doing to keep him accountable. And we just look a better setup when he's in there. So I'm glad he's back in the team. He obviously had a bit of work to do, but he played an underrated, selfless game um, and should stay in the team. He just looks an AFL player, so still he gets the scoreboard too. Yeah, that's right. And at an important time, um, and he's got a good good composure around goal nearly kicked another one just after that where he sort of blazed a bit but um wanted to give the nomination to ben long um i think we've, we've all been justifiably a bit critical of, of him and, and mainly to do with when he's when his timing's off and he gets his aggression channeled the wrong way but this season he's been really effective at, at channeling the aggression into forward pressure he also kicked a big goal um he's doing whatever role is required of him sometimes back sometimes forward he played a sub a couple of times so He's holding his keep and he's been important to, to what we're trying to do. So credit to him. Um, and 
similar to you, Nick, with moments, uh, Daniel McKenzie's been outstanding this year. It's, it's hard to be critical of him at all. He's really developed as a player. But I think most of us know that there was an old Daniel McKenzie and there's a new Daniel McKenzie. And the old one had died. It was gone. Um, he, he's always had courage. He's always been tough, fearless, um, gutsy for the team. But he used to be very unsteady with ball in hand. And that was the knock on him. He used to think that he probably won't make it for that reason because he's too untidy with the ball, too rushed. Um, he's really channeled that well this year in terms of picking the right options, straight line, long and direct, that type of stuff. But he's just got to make sure that he keeps the old one under wraps and um, don't get too ambitious, swim between the flags, I guess, as they say. We're in control of the game at three-quarter time. One of Geelong's trump cards that just hit the post at the start of the last quarter. Uh, you then tried to go across goal and missed the target by probably 20 metres and gifted him a goal that could have swung the game back the other way. So it's probably the only mistake he's made all year, but that was a mistake that was reminiscent of what Daniel McKenzie used to be. So um, stick to stick to what you're doing and just um, the old Clint Eastwood uh, saying that you got to know you got got to know your limitations. I think don't 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 be trying that stuff. I'm picturing you're talking about the dead Daniel Kenzie, the, the zombie arm coming out of the foot, the back pocket. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> just, just stick like, it out of the ground. Keep it in there, mate, because we like the new one. And that's the first time we've seen the old one in a long, long time. So um, just have words to him and make sure he doesn't reappear. I think that's the uh, the message out of that for uh, well, for for McKenzie. I'm going to put you on the spot, Parker, because yeah. we had a lot of a lot of uh, feedback the other week when, when you did it the first time with with Judge Dredd and Slow Mo. But <laughs> have you got, a, uh, have you got a, a movie comparison this week for us? <laughs> we, we haven't talked about it. We mentioned it last week, and and uh, it's just slipped slipped the mind in the run sheet this week. But um, yeah, any, any thoughts on a on a comparison? Film for that for that moment or for the game, whatever you prefer. <laughs> take whatever you've got. I'm trying to think of a movie that, yeah, a movie that looked like it was going poorly, um, but ended up having a twist that was very good and very encouraging. Um, Is it a Rocky fight back? Maybe, <laughs> maybe, um, maybe something like Mr. T where Mr. T's always had the swagger and giving you the shits and that type of thing. But then, um, you know, the captain had gone down, which in, in the Rocky case was when Mickey had the heart attack and died in the third Rocky movie. Uh, that was Jack Steele with his shoulder. Uh, we obviously had to fight our way out and, uh, and get the job done. The McKenzie one reminded me of, I don't know why it's a, a poor analogy, but the Simpsons episode where uh, they bowl the 300s and Maggie bowls the 300 and that little balloon just floats down and, and Homer just pats it away because he said that you got a foul or whatever. That little balloon floating down might have been the old Daniel McKenzie. It's just like, flip that away. Like, no, we haven't seen that. That's gone. So um, I'm sure others can come up with better ones than that, but that's what we've well, got at this point. If you've got better than that, then let us know on, on Twitter. <laughs> we we want to hear uh, your movie comparisons. But yeah, Rocky three maybe. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that'll uh, that'll wrap us up for us this week. Well, we'll try to in- implement movie nominations, and let's hope it's a uh, it's a um, an action movie or a Bond film where you know the ending and you're pleased with the ending, with the exception of the last Bond film this week, rather than either a, a horror movie or a car crash or something like that. When we take on the crows, but. Fingers crossed we get to seven and three through 10 rounds when we reconvene next week. Go Saints.